You're listening to the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. Alright, welcome back to another special edition of the Not Another Wrestling Podcast. I have my best friends Ed and Joe joining me once again. Welcome back, boys. Can't wait. I'm always glad to be back, CJ. Yes, this is another special edition with Ed and Joe. Like I said last time, we're going to try and do these a little more often as we can, again, with our fitting into our schedules. Um, today's topic, however, is a little bit controversial. Um... Vice TV had recently announced uh, Dark Side of the Ring Season 2, and one of the biggest episodes, I think, it's probably going to get the most views, other than Owen Hart's death. This one's on Chris Benoit. Um, now, for those of you, maybe you may want to turn this off. I recommend you don't, but hear us out. Um, we're going to kind of go through Chris Benoit's uh, career, kind of his life, Leading up to the eventual tragedy that happened, um, if you don't know it, well, we'll explain it to you, I guess, for the first time then, but where have you been if you're a wrestling fan living under a, a goddamn rock? Um, going through real quickly, um, we all grew up watching Chris Benoit's kids, right? Yes. Um, just skimming through his career a little bit here because there's some parts of his career that, one, we were not around for, or two, we just don't really remember. So... Um, those of you guys might not know, is that Benoit was in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he, I believe he was under the name uh, Pegasus Kid. Do you guys know that? I did no, not at all. No idea. Yeah, he says right here, August 1990, when his first major championship, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship from Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger is like an absolute legend in New Japan Pro Wrestling and is is uh, kind of revered as the greatest cruiserweight or junior heavyweight of all time in uh, pro wrestling and Japanese wrestling history. Um, Benoit spent the next couple of years in Japan winning the best of Super Junior tournaments in 1993 95, uh, winning the inaugural uh, Super J Cup tournament in 94, defeating Black Tiger, Gato, the great Sasuke in the finals, wrestled outside of New Japan occasionally, and competed for Mexico and Europe, won a few regional championships. Uh, he was in WCW for a brief time. Um, and uh, I guess we can kind of start here. Actually, no, we have to start. He was in ECW for a little bit. He was one of those guys, along with uh, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio, uh, who were like the guys where Eric Bischoff saw them. He's like, yep, I'll take them. If you guys remember that. Yeah, and it uh, was New Japan the first uh, company he was actually with, like ever, or did he wrestle in the States for a little while before? Or actually, I guess Canada because he's Canadian, it, right? It says in um, 85 to 90 uh, to 89 that he was with a company called Stampede Wrestling. So he did wrestle in the States for a, a little bit. Actually, no, this is in, uh, it was in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Was So he was in Canada, then Japan, and then he finally made it to. Uh, a brief stint in WCW into ECW, then returning to WCW. Uh, okay, yeah, because it, it makes sense that uh, he would start in Japan because of just his wrestling style and his, you know, his in-ring prowess. Yeah, he was a very unique, very unique performer. Um, I mean, I am not too familiar with his New Japan stuff, but I know he wrestled there and he was very good from what I heard. His WCW stuff, I'm a little more familiar with. Um, we were just talking about this off mic that there was a storyline where Benoit was working with Kevin Sullivan, where Kevin Sullivan's wife Nancy, uh, it had led that she was with Benoit, and then in real life she actually got together with Chris Benoit. Storyline turned real. Yeah, it, yeah. it turned real. Uh, this this kind of shit that was happening before Edge and Lita. Um, 
It says here that um, this came to fruition. Dissension between the two tag teams, eventually teaming against each other. Public Enemy and Benoit being attacked by Sullivan and the Slamboree led to having a violent confrontation in pay-per-views, which led Sullivan a booking feud with Benoit, which, those of you who don't know, uh, Kevin Sullivan was one of the many bookers of WCW because one week it was Kevin Sullivan, one week it was uh, it was uh, Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Hulk Hogan, Vince Russo, Eric Bischoff. Like, like, it was too many. Um, led to two have booking after Sullivan's real life wife and on-screen valet Nancy, better known as Woman, Benoit and Nancy were forced to spend time together to make the affair look real. Yes, he told them to actually stay in the same hotel room. Yeah, so it's kind of his own doing. Yeah, so. Um, on-screen relationship developed into a real-life affair off-screens. As a result, Sullivan and Benoit had contentious backstage relationship. At best, Benoit did, did however, admit to having a certain amount of respect for Sullivan, saying the DVD hard knocks of the Chris Benoit story. That Sullivan never took undue liberties in the ring during their feud, even though he blamed Benoit for breaking up his marriage. I mean, you can kind of blame that on Kevin Sullivan. Yep, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, you, know. want, you wanted this storyline to make look so real. Well, now it happens. Yeah, that's why I should never really uh, mix real-world relationships with uh, WWE. It just tends to not work well. Well, just in wrestling in general. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, skipping through here a little bit. Uh, I do have a quick story, though. I listened to uh, Perry Saturn on Jericho's podcast once where him and Benoit won the tag titles. Eric Bischoff was going away on a fishing trip where um, he had... Uh, Bischoff had said, like, what do you want us to do for me and Benoit? And he goes, I want you to being booked in tag matches and going over. And Kevin Sullivan was booking. And when he got to TV... Perry Sadden goes to uh, Sullivan and says, Perry, uh, Kevin, Eric wants me and Benoit going over in tag matches. And they had them jobbing, one jobbing to Macho Man, the other jobbing to, I think, Ultimate Warrior. And he's like, well, Eric's not here. Unless you have his number, but but Bischoff gave Perry Sadden his number. He said, if anything goes wrong, it's not supposed to do that, uh, call me. So he calls him, we're on a bus. It's just like, he did what? He's like, put that mother on the phone. He's like, excuse me, Kevin, it's Eric's on the phone. He wants to talk to you. And Kevin Sullivan w- went white as a ghost. <laughs> He's like, oh, that shit. That was a weird tag team, though. Perry Saturn and Chris Benoit. It is a little weird, but that is what the to- story was. Speaking of which, where he finally entered into WWF in the Radicals, uh, where he joined forces with Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, and Perry Saturn. Um... And they came in white hot, like all of those guys left WCW and they were tired of the bullshit and they're just like, we'd rather go to WWF and actually be used. And to, from what I can remember at that time, they were used pretty well. You you uh, saw them actually like vague, wrestle? Va- vaguely. Like this is like late 90s, early 2000s, so I have a very brief memory of it. This is... Again, I, I'm not gonna claim here and s- uh, sit here and claim that I'm a big expert in the Attitude Era. I'm not, because a lot of it I couldn't watch as a kid. You're a ruthless aggression expert. Yeah, I'm like tail tail end Attitude Era, ruthless aggression era. Like that's that's my. We talked about this last time we were on the on the pod together. That's my era of wrestling. Our era of wrestling. Yeah, and I vaguely remember them coming in, and I remember Chris Benoit doing well out of the gate. I remember obviously Eddie Guerrero doing good out of the gate, but. I think Dean Malenko was actually one of those guys who were kind of kind of criminally criminally underused. I think they used him for a couple of months or so in the invasion yeah. storyline. I could be wrong, but they didn't really do much with him. Perry Saturn, I, I don't think that was really their fault. I mean, I don't, I don't think Perry Saturn was that good of a wrestler anyway. But uh, well, at, least, at least the two had a really great careers right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, Benoit and Guerrero were obviously shown that they were two high-caliber, world-class uh, wrestlers. And... Uh, and- Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, and they basically started and ended their WWE careers together. I mean, unintentionally, of course, but it is kind of poetic. Yeah, it is poetic. And we all know, we talked, uh, me and Ed talked briefly about um, Benoit and Eddie and their friendship. Like, they were two, the two best of friends. 
uh, in and outside of the ring, uh, two of the best wrestlers uh, of their generation. Um, reading through a little bit here, uh, Benoit spent a lot of time in uh, Raw and SmackDown. He had feuded with a lot of different people: uh, Kurt Angle, uh, Edge, Rey Mysterio, uh, Eddie Guerrero, um, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kane. A lot of different guys. Uh, one of the last guys he put over was MVP for his untimely passing. Uh, oh yeah, twenty three, right? WrestleMania twenty three. Well, he didn't put over MVP at WrestleMania twenty three, but he did have a match, and then he did eventually lose the U.S. title to MVP at the following or following pay per view or the following pay per view after. Oh, okay. It was either like a backlash or a Judgment Day. Um, but I would say that Chris Benoit really started getting like notoriety in, like two thousand four, two thousand five. Like that's when like Chris Benoit was like really on his A game in his career. Because um, in 2004 is when he won the Royal Rumble. And that's when he feuded with Triple H and eventually Shawn Michaels to get into the uh, World Heavyweight Championship match at WrestleMania. Yeah, that entire stretch was some of the best things you can see from a wrestler, period, really. I mean, he had just a one on a tear with great match after great match. And eventually that, I think it was WrestleMania 20, right? It was the triple yeah. threat. That he won, and then he, Eddie comes comes out and congratulates them. It was yeah, and they're, such an amazing moment. They're celebrating in the ring with their titles, with the world titles. Yeah. Um, I mean, Benoit made Triple H tap in the match, and that was huge back then because Triple H like didn't job for anybody. Nope. He he only there's only a handful of guys Triple H put over in that time. He put over uh, Benoit, Batista, uh, Orton for a bit, um, Goldberg, kind of. Do you think there's a, a real? Do you think like there's a big benefit to you know going from promotion to promotion because all these guys, they jumped promotions and they were really talented. Well, I would so definitely. Helps. I would say yeah, for sure, because you go around the world and you learn different styles. You know, Benoit starting in Stampede and learning working with different wrestlers in Canada, and then going to New Japan and working the working the style over there going to WCW and ECW, working with a bunch of different world-class guys, and that just seasons you, and working with people who are better than you just makes you better. Uh, and it turned, and it made Chris Benoit better as the years went on. Um, I think because you, you think about the matches that he's had over the years, he had great matches, like I said, with guys like Eddie Guerrero, Kane, Randy Orton, uh, Shawn Michaels, Triple H... Uh, Chris Jericho, Rob Van Dam. You think about all the guys he's had in the ring with. And for me, we'll kind of go around a little quickly. If we have a favorite Benoit match, for me, my favorite Chris Benoit match uh, is the 2000, I believe it was 2005 Royal Rumble. Uh, he faced uh, Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship. Or, or was it 2003? Well, it was a Royal Rumble, and Benoit faced Angle for the championship. And Angle has gone on to say, like, that is like his most proud match or one of the like toughest. Like he's like, because Angle said in an interview, I think it was Jericho's podcast, he said, I've never had anyone match my intensity the way Benoit did. Yeah, two very similar styles. I mean, he, Chris Benoit was really good technically, just like, you know, Kurt Angle, obviously with, you know, the Olympic gold medal in uh, wrestling. Mm -hmm. So it, it was kind of just bound for greatness there. They're both, they, they can both work, very much work a shoot style of wrestling. Um, Angle being with the, the uh, you know the amateur wrestling background, um, I don't think Benoit really having much of an amateur wrestling background, but like their styles mesh so well together. What about you guys? What what do you have a favorite Chris Benoit match? Uh, I'd say the WrestleMania 20 match for the Triple Threat because at the same time, it, while it being good, it was also kind of out of left field. We didn't really think that Benoit was going to win it because you have to understand. Triple H and Shawn Michaels have obviously this great rivalry and amazing history together. So from kind of like a smarky perspective, I guess, you can look at Benoit as, okay, he's the guy who's going to get uh, pinned because they don't want Triple H or Shawn Michaels to, you know, uh, pin each other. They, they want both of them to come out strong. But no, they actually gave it to Benoit and, you know, that led to that amazing moment. And it was probably one of the – it's up there with the top five, top ten best WrestleMania matches of all time. Mm -hmm, uh, sure. It's it's just so obvious to pick that one. Yeah, I have to agree with Joe on that one. I was going to say the same thing. Mania twenty for both of you guys. Yeah, World no, Heavyweight yeah. Championship. That's, yeah. that's a great one too. 
It is. If I didn't pick Plus the you, you got Eddie there too coming out, right? Yeah. Everyone it, coming out together. Yeah. It's just it, a good moment. If I didn't pick uh, the one with uh, Angle, it would probably be his match where he won the title at WrestleMania 20. Um, going a little further, um, there's a lot of comparisons from Chris Benoit to Daniel Bryan. Uh, kind of like his ro- meteoric rise when he, you know, winning the title at Mania 20 in a triple threat match, making like the most protected guy in the company tap out. Brian doing the same thing. Maybe Batista not being the most protected guy, but like the big name draw and making the big monster heel tap out essentially to the same move. Like Brian and and Benoit essentially had the same finishing move. Um, Two of them, really. Crypto cross face and the flying head, but... Yeah, I mean... It's... For for a long... It's, it's, it's taken me a long, long time to not think about Chris Benoit when I would watch Daniel Bryan wrestle. And sometimes I can't help but think about Chris Benoit when I see Daniel Bryan in the ring. But I think it's less now because Bryan doesn't really do the headbutt anymore. Well, it's dangerous. It is very dangerous. And... That is kind of a thing that kind of led to like him like kind of getting messed up in the head so much, Benoit, because of all the concussions he had. Because you have to remember, guys in Benoit's era grew up with like, oh, you're hurt, you know, take a pain, pop a pill, or have a beer, or do a line of coke, or something, and like you'll or pop some acid, you'll, you'll be fine. There was no time off. There was no go home and rest. There was none of that. What was that, Ed? Yeah, I missed that. Ed. That's the one F where we can use. That's it. Whatever, uh, whatever Punk had whenever he had staff infection, what are the medics they put a Z-pack on it? Oh, my, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> hey, Joe, you heard that too, right? Nope. CJ. Uh, I think we- yeah, I didn't hear anything. You sounded like you were on crack. Like I was drunk. Like I'm drunk That's listening it. You to what you said. Like how Ed came off <laughs> on my end, it sounded like I'm drunk listening to him talk. <laughs> so Ed, you're, also, what doesn't do that so, in the recording? Um, it is recording. And you know how I say I don't really edit these things out too much. I guess you're about it. <laughs> yeah, so. Looks like you're gonna have to, CJ. You're gonna have to repeat what you said, Ed. I said that just put a Z pack on it. Like CM Punk. Like CM Punk yeah. <laughs> because they just took a bunch of abuse. He was in all types of medication when he was on everything. He was on depression pills, I think. He was using Xanax. I think they found he was using all types of drugs and mixing stuff he wasn't supposed to. Yeah, I mean, he was doing a lot. But him and so many other guys were doing the same thing. Yeah, but he took the most brain damage. And I feel like the flying headbutt was just not necessary. There's so much that could be done besides that. That's true. I mean, there are ways to protect yourself, but at the same time, is it really worth like hurting your head like that? And here's the thing, too. I mean, while other wrestlers were taking the drugs and whatever that he was taking, he was also taking massive amounts of steroids. And that chemical yeah. imbalance in your body is really going to mess you up. And while other wrestlers have also been taking steroids and taking these drugs, whatever, I think it was worse for him, not only because of the brain damage, but I, I think just the amount he was taking, just the chemical imbalance just went crazy in his body. I think it was... I want to say it was Kurt Angle or maybe Brock Lesnar. I forget. I heard an interview with somebody saying that whenever you would talk to Chris in the in the locker room, out of nowhere he just st- dropped down and started doing push ups out of nowhere. He's like, "Chris, what are you doing? Oh, I got I got to keep in shape. I got to work out." Blah, blah, blah. He he was kind of like a burst. He was of crazy. Burst yeah. of adrenaline out of nowhere. Yeah, and but and it happened in mid conversation. So I mean, there was clearly something wrong with everything that he was taken all together i mean other people saw it beforehand they just didn't think it would you know although i don't think it, it was did. sure there was a hormonal imbalance but the final verdict was it was not roid rage it wasn't that's what they said that's what they said um real quickly before we get into i guess his untimely tragedy and all that because guys we're still we're like 20 minutes into this thing we still have a lot to cover before we get into that so much to cover. Well, I mean, we could talk about the three amigos. That's one of the things I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The three amigos. 
Eddie, Eddie, Chris, and Cha, uh, Eddie, Chris, and Ray, or Eddie. I think Eddie, it was or, Dean Malenko. Wasn't it Dean Malenko? I think. I think yeah, or it could be Dean. Like there's there's a there's a variation of it. Look, if you if you mean if the fans are gonna you know I know there's gonna be a lot of uh, corrections they're gonna make because we don't know. I mean, oh yeah, they have their, you, all, yeah. All, the, all the smart marks gonna say no, it was Malenko, Benoit, and Guerrero. The three Pakistanis are freaking raging right now. <laughs> I can hear them typing right now. Oh, here they are. <laughs> oh, nice. nothing, though. We're get we're getting a, we're getting a lot of hate for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, no. Look, this is way before our time. We know very little about it. I just know him when he was a singles we, wrestler. We know. Yep. Look, we know what we know from Benoit, and what we know is like the two thousands up until his untimely passing. This SmackDown. Like, that, that's what I know about. Yeah, that, that's what we know. We're gonna cover more of what we know about Chris Benoit, and what we remember about Chris Benoit, rather than like try and talk about his entire career, because we're not gonna sit here and claim that we're ex- again, like we're experts of. Of Benoit, like he was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up as a kid. Um, and and a bit, I can't remember too much, but I'll tell you what: one of the most, one of the coolest things I remember about Chris Benoit isn't any match; it's that damn entrance music. Oh it my was god, so good. that's a real good. Just one of one of the best theme songs of any wrestler was his. It got you so pumped up. I loved his theme song so much. Yeah, man, that's a good workout song. No, they don't yeah. make them like they used to. No, no, they don't. There's some good ones out there, but you, gotta, you really got to search for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading through a little bit more here on his career. Um, he had in this, he would drafted the SmackDown in 2005 uh, lottery. Um, it says in the and participate in an ECW-style revolution against SmackDown heels. Benoit appeared one night stand defeating Eddie Guerrero, and he had lost the... Uh, uh, he failed to win the United States Championship from Orlando Jordan? Jesus Christ. Anybody well, remember, the remember, Orlando Jordan? Anybody remember him? JBL? <laughs> yeah, Personal but assistant? Says, but he won a rematch at SummerSlam in 25 seconds. Jesus Christ. Wow. Then won three consecutive matches against Jordan less than a minute. Benoit uh, later wrestled Booker T in a friendly competition until Booker and his wife Charmel cheated Benoit out of the U.S. title in October. Was it King Booker back then? King uh, Booker. I don't think so. I don't think he's King Booker just yet. I think uh. I think he became King Booker in like 2006. This is 2005. Um, and then it's going on here saying that Eddie Gar- uh, that uh, on November 13th, 25. Uh, 20, uh, 2005, Guerrero was found dead in his hotel room following the night Raw held a Guerrero tribute show hosted by both Raw and SmackDown wrestlers. Benoit was devastated with the loss of his best friend and very emotional during the series of video testimonies, eventually breaking down on camera. Some of his colleagues state that he was never, ever the same after Eddie's death. Same week after SmackDown taped on the same night of Raw, Benoit defeated Triple H in a tribute match with uh, his fallen friend. Following the contest, Benoit, Helmsley, and Dimalenko all assembled in the ring and pointed to the sky and salute to Guerrero. Um, we talked uh, briefly about the friendship between Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, um, and I, I know we're just fans and we really don't know too much about the friendships of a lot of these wrestlers. I mean, thanks to like you know the internet, we kind of know a little bit, but I feel like we really that was like one of the at least from what I can remember, the, the we could really feel the friendship of Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero more than any two wrestlers in, in WWE growing up as kids. Well, look at Chris Benoit when Eddie Guerrero died. I mean, that episode of Raw, I think it was, where he was just breaking down yeah, that's, on that on that ramp. I mean, I you can tell reading. that he missed him more than anyone else, really. That, that's what I was reading, like, more than, like, just... Probably not as much as uh, Chavo, but... I mean, yeah, I mean Chavo, well, I, mean, yeah. I, I would think... If there's any of his non-family, of, of his non-family yeah. and his colleagues, yeah. like that's it hit him the hardest. Um, like again, and several people have said has said over the years that Chris Chris Benoit was never the same after Eddie's passing. Um, and that's when things kind of started to change in Chris Benoit. People kind of started to see a different side of him once uh, Eddie had passed away. Uh, reading through here that just some of the things that uh, he had a great series of matches with uh, Booker T. Um, 
he had a groin injury and Orton was stepped in for uh, for Booker. Uh, and I said that Benoit broke kayfabe, broke JBL's hand, and JBL actually needed surgery to remove a cyst. <laughs> the match was set up for the two at WrestleMania 22 for Benoit's title for the next several weeks. They attacked each other at WrestleMania. JBL won the U.S. title uh, with an inside cradle. Benoit used the rematch clause two weeks later in a steel cage match on SmackDown, but JBL won again uh, due to the equal. Tactics. Was that the one where he went through the went through the ring and wound up on the other side? It just says il- with illegal tactics. I don't know if it's. it's just, I, I don't remember that. If that's the case, and I remember that match, I remember watching it live, and I was just like, "Oh, stop it! <laughs> oh, stop it! <laughs> stop it, you! Oh, stop it! <laughs> stop it, Ron! Never even song. Oh shit." Um, so it was on October eighth, the Benoit made a surprise return. No mercy to defeating William Regal. Another another guy who was incredibly underrated and someone who worked with Benoit over the years is William Regal. Um, and then he lost, uh, won his fifth U.S. championship from Mr. Kennedy. Kennedy! Benoit. Benoit uh, twice. Then engaged in a few with Chavo and Vicky. He won answers from the Guerreros for their rash behavior towards Ray. Okay, so they kind of turned uh, Chavo heel. That's a nose qualification match, and then leading into his feud with MVP, where he later lost the uh, U.S. title at uh, Judgment Day. Not Judgment Day, that's what it was. Yeah, Judgment Day was the pay-per-view where he lost the uh, championship to uh, MVP. VPPPP. <laughs> um, yeah, horrible, I know. <laughs> quality content here, folks. This is quality yep. content. <laughs> Can't get this anywhere else. Maybe I might edit that part out. Probably. <laughs> now you keep this. Uh, you leave it in. All right. I'll leave it. And in. you leave this in too. Screw it. I'll and leave, this. I'm leaving everything in. <laughs> Let's face it, CJ. Um, you're not gonna edit anything. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not. Um, so, I, I guess we kind of. I guess I kind of am brushing over his career a little bit, um, but. I sorry, that's just what I could talk about. He, uh, I mean, what happened after what happened? What happened? It's hard to really remember the good things. Yeah, but I guess I'll just touch upon the end of his uh, of his WWE career. Um, on June 11th uh, episode of Raw, Benoit was drafted from SmackDown ECW as a part of the 2007 draft. Uh, Benoit wrestled his final match, defeating Elijah Burke in a match to determine who would compete against the vacated ECW Championship at Vengeance to the uh, at Vengeance on June 24th, 2007. Um, Elijah Burke was the pirate. No, that was Paul Burchill. Elijah Burke was like he was a boxer previous to WWE. Um, he had the the new breed, I think it was. He had him, uh, that vampire guy. It was a like Kevin Thorne, Elijah Burke, because I remember his theme song was so funny. Oh yeah, no, Elijah Burke was. Hold on. He was kind of like a, he was a boxer. He was a boxer previous to um, to getting to the WWE. He was a black guy with dreads, right? Yeah, it's Elijah Burke. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Elijah Burke. Yeah. I remember him now. Okay. This is like WWE new ECW Ooh, stuff. Yes. So, okay. And he and Benoit was supposed to fake CM Punk. Um, talk about that. That would have been awesome. For a few minutes. Like, you, you just took the words out of my mouth, Joe. That would have been an awesome match. CM Punk was still very early on in his career, but Punk had at that point made a huge name for himself on the indies and in ring of honor. And the amount of things he could have learned from Chris Benoit in just one match would have been, Oh yeah, for sure. Would have been insurmountable. The things he would have learned. I mean, I think you would have seen a more technical CM Punk after that. Cause I mean, he was always kind of, you know, I don't even know how you would even explain Punk, but he wasn't really like a Matt guy. He wasn't like a Bret Hart or a, you know, a Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit type of guy. I mean, I he, think I you would have seen a little was, more. He was in Ring of Honor. I don't know. It, it was his ECW stint was kind of strange. I really don't think Punk kind of started. He didn't really start getting like real traction until like he turned heel and won the title from Jeff Hardy. That's when I think Punk really started to come into his own 
in WWE. He had kind of a hybrid style. He did. He kind of had a mix of a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, that was supposed to be the championship match, uh, Vengeance, in 2007. While at the same time, the Vince McMahon getting blown up in his limousine storyline was going on, too. And the whole... <laughs> The whole illegitimate son thing is like that storyline. Who, who kills Vince McMahon? Um, that was on the news too. I remember, was. I I remember where I was. Yeah, they're like, it's not yeah. true. I, I was at my aunt and uncle's house, and they're like, "Oh, did you hear Vince McMahon died all over the news?" I'm like, "No, he didn't. <laughs> Shut up." <laughs> of course, your uncles would believe that, right? <laughs> oh, this was Colleen and Frank. I'll name drop them on the podcast. I don't care. D awesome. Okay. Um. <laughs> Yeah, Am I allowed but... to say something about jawlines? No? Okay. Wait, what are you allowed to say? <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. You can say whatever you want. You can say whatever you want. Uh, I don't care. I'm just going to get back to him eventually. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> to Sean? <laughs> no, to Joe. Oh, to Joe. <laughs> Joe Sr. is going to be like, Joe, what the hell are you doing on the podcast? <laughs> is that Rico Suave? I appreciate the very Brooklyn Italian uh, accent there. You left out a couple of douchebags. Uh, yeah, well, right. like you're I right. said, Ed grew, Ed grew up in Brooklyn, so he learned their ways. Yeah, that is true. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe he's he's Ecuadorian. Anyway, so CJ, you trying to get me docs, bro? Are you serious? <laughs> Don't worry, you got your papers. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so I guess moving on forward that. Uh, Benoit had missed uh, weekend's house shows, which is never the case. Uh, he's telling WWE officials that him and his wife and son were vomiting due to food poisoning. When he failed to show up for the pay-per-view, viewers were informed that he was unable to compete due to a family emergency. He was replaced with Johnny Nitro, uh, which he became the ECW champion, and that kind of led to a subpar feud between CM Punk and Nitro until their ECW TV match, which was incredible. Um, Are we still talking about Chris Benoit? We are, uh, but I just had to say that briefly because Nitro was the one who replaced Chris Benoit and feuded with uh, CM Punk. Um, it would have been great had we if if uh, Benoit and Punk had feuded that summer, but what can you do? Um, so I guess now we kind of go into the more tragic side of Chris Benoit. So it was on... Let's see when he died here. June 24th, 2007, Chris Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel was found dead in their home in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I remember coming home from school one day and I had seen that on WB.com and just like the whole Vince McMahon thing... I thought it was work. I thought this was fake. This is ridiculous. And I see on the internet, it's all over the news. Like, yes, he actually was dead. And I'm not afraid to say that I cried because I was a, I was a rather young kid and this was one of my favorite wrestlers and he was gone. You know, it was like Eddie kind of all over again. Um, and at first I didn't believe it because no. this was so close to the Vince death storyline. So I was like, oh, really, they're doing this again? But no, yeah. we found out it was real. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell? Do you guys remember where you were when you found this out? Probably at home. Honestly, I was probably at home and I saw it on the news. What about you, Joe? Yeah, funny, enough, I was, funny enough, I was at my aunt and uncle's house again. <laughs> hey, did you hear about this wrestler, Chris Benoit? He died? Yeah, he actually did. Yeah. Well, I remember, well, I remember we actually turned on the TV because this was, you know, because it was... Oh wait, no, no, it was the next day. We all uh, turned on the TV to watch Raw, and no, that um, was that was the same day. They found out he died. Like, was it the same day? Okay, well, it was Monday, they, and then well, they he, they found out that he was already dead, but they determined that he died the day prior. And they did their little tribute episode. Okay, yeah, because yeah, I remember seeing that there. tribute. And then Vince was in the ring, and the arena was empty. They canceled the show, and Vince. It, it's still one of the most eerie. One of the, like spine tingling kind of like saddest moments in WB's history of Vince standing in the empty arena explaining what happened you know he said good evening tonight was supposed to be a tribute episode for Mike the death of my character Mr. McMahon 
but in real life, tragedy has struck that Chris Benoit, his wife Nancy, and their son Daniel were all found dead this morning in their home of Atlanta, Georgia. We felt that it was inappropriate to continue on the show given these circumstances. Tonight, however, we will give a tribute to Chris Benoit and all his many accomplishments in the world of WWE. And we, our thoughts and prayers go to the ones who are horribly affected by this tragedy. I don't know if that what, what it was word for word, but that's the gist of what he said. I wasn't reading from like a piece of paper or anything. And I remember at the time they were getting a bit of flack because of obviously what happened, but they at that time they didn't know that it was actually a murder suicide. They just no. thought that they were all dead and something terrible happened, some, whatever. Like a freak accident. Yeah, they, they, don't they put know. out yeah. that they put out that statement that said we're not going to mention him anymore. Yeah. Well, it wasn't until maybe like the following night um, where they played the ECW taping. Vince had said that. Um, they, they mentioned about Chris Benoit. Oh, somebody's happy back there. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. It's shocking. Um, so he had mentioned that going forward that they would make no mention of Chris Benoit or bring him up in their history. And that's exactly what they've done. Um, I remember as a kid, I w- again, devastated. I was... I was uh, crying. I was. I just. I really couldn't believe it. And he legitimately was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up as a kid. Um, and I wanted to like do something. And then I found out what happened. I was just like, you know, a part of you can't really believe that it happened because you hear all these stories that he loved his wife and his son more than anything in this world, and and he goes and does that. It 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 really is shocking, you know. Um, Not even from an individual perspective, just from a human perspective. Like, yeah. how could you? It's just you can't fathom doing that to, you know, your wife and your kid who was mentally disabled. Yeah, he was autistic. seven years old. Wasn't he t- autistic? I don't know. Yeah, it was, was a form of autism. It was a form of autism. It was fragile X syndrome, I think it was called, and it was some sort of like you know, uh, intellectual disability type thing. Yeah, he. Um... It's sad. I I know Chavo Guerrero talked about um, he was like one of the last people to be really in contact with Chris before he had passed away. Um, you know, he saw him and he's like, you doing okay? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine. And he saw him like, all right, man, I love you. And then he was trying to get back home um, and he had sent him like weird text messages throughout the weekend saying like the dogs are out, the dogs are loose, the dogs are out. And then he calls him. And he's like, "Hey, are you doing okay?" He's like, "Oh yeah, we all kind of have food poisoning, so like, you know, we're everybody's kind of sick." Like, all right, "All right, man. Well, if you need anything, just just give me a call and, and talk to me." And then like, travel found out on Raw on Monday. Like, I think it he was distraught, and I think he said it was Ric Flair who actually came up to him, hugged him. He's like, "I I can't believe this is happening all over again." As it was like Eddie all over again for him. You know, it was only two years after Eddie had passed away. Um, and um. Yes. It's crazy. You really can't see this stuff coming because, like, I, someone you know, close to my family, also uh, committed suicide, and we remember we hung out with him Easter, and this was you know a couple of days before he actually you know killed himself, and he you would never even expect a thing, you know, he was just normal normal person, laughing, smiling, you know, doing whatever. So it's it's really hard to you know think that. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. It's it's hard to predetermine something like that where it's, no, it really you, you can't really see it coming. You really, I don't think anybody would have expected this happening. That especially from when you hear so much about a guy who loved his family so much, um, and it's it really is a horrible tragedy. Just just honestly, because that was. That was all over the news. Like every single news station was covering it, and then the whole steroid things happened, and then the whole uh, concussion thing. Like I remember when people were trying to play steroids into it, 
that's when like a lot of other wrestlers started to come out to the limelight. Like, people like like you know, you know John Cena was on CNN when Chris Jericho and Bret Hart. They're all on one episode with Larry King, and they were all defending. And I remember seeing Jericho, and I remember telling you, Ed, I'm like, dude, Jericho's on CNN, like. And Jericho was done with wrestling at this point. He was done with wrestling. He said he was retired. He didn't want to wrestle ever again. But it was kind of one of the first things that he had kind of come out uh, for, unfortunately. Because, you know, Jericho and Benoit were very close friends, too. Um, I think the main thing they were trying to do was, like, they were trying to get, like, oh, this is because of steroids. This is because of steroids. This is because of steroids. And they went out and made their claim and they defended the their position like this hadn't this didn't have anything to do with steroids and lo and behold uh, exactly it, it wasn't even it the didn't. steroids it was Benoit's brain like they that's when also the whole thing with then they started to find out the whole thing with like NFL players and concussions CTE. with CTE yeah. that's when this start, stuff started kind of started to be uh come to the limelight i watched uh Chris Benoit's oldest son David have a interview with Chris Van Vliet um, and he said he's like you know if you think about it like my dad like kind of changed that you know the whole CTE thing concussions the protocol like there really wasn't anything for that before before his untimely passing and yeah I- it said his brain was so severely damaged it resembled the brain of an 85 year old Alzheimer patient and he was only 40 and and you know it's chair shots to the head, the headbutt, just taking like hard bumps to the head, like over the years, like it messed him up. So, you know, he also you can kind of say like maybe he had dementia in the whole thing, like, but again, to do that to your wife and your child, it's. I remember uh, Nancy Benoit. Well, dementia does apparently it does contribute to severe behavioral problems, which explains the random push-ups and the stuff that he's been doing. So that, that I mean that's pretty much it. I really don't think it was the steroids, to be honest. No, I don't think so either. And I, I don't think even in like a, th- a thing of roid rage, it's like I don't know. I, I it's probably it. And I remember Nancy Benoit's sister was on Jericho's podcast doing like a ten year anniversary talking about the thing. And she was like, you know, was close with him, like a brother. And even though this thing happened, she's like, she's like, I, she's like, I was there the after the at the crime scene at the house, and like, and I saw what he did to my sister, and she did not look like who she was. She like he he brutalized her, he murdered her. Like this was not my sister, the woman I was looking at after what he did. And you know, it, he probably realized what he did. He probably realized that. He had the dementia. And he really. I, I. What am I gonna? What do I do? Like, and he. And he killed himself. But how long was it? Because I think it was within like a three day period. Like, yeah, I think wasn't so. It, it was like, a couple of days. He was like, God. What, yeah, what, I mean, he it, first he killed. Yeah, then he had to kill his son after he killed his wife. He he killed his wife, then his son, and then he was there in his home for like another day with the dead bodies. Then he called Chavo. He was, well. he was calling Chavo. He was in contact with Chavo the entire weekend. So, like like I said earlier, like he texted Chavo saying, the dogs are out, the dogs are out. And he kept sending him weird texts all weekend, and Chavo called him. And we don't know. How, it could have been like when he was on the phone with Chris Chavo, he, he could have killed his son and, and wife at that point. I don't remember exactly when he spoke to him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure because I'm trying to read up on it a little bit, and it says from Saturday, uh, three thirty p.m. to about Sunday at three to four a.m. So it it seems to be within a twenty four hour period. It all happened. Yeah, and I'm actually looking up on the the tragedy itself uh, too. Um, now I, the thing about the uh, his wife and son is it didn't seem like there was any think any sort of a struggle so it seems like he gave daniel xanax and yeah. killed him and then uh his wife they're more unsure about that but they said that there was no signs of a struggle so they could have he could have done it while they were asleep or he could have drugged them or something i don't know that's true i mean <clears throat> it, it could have i mean reading that that is kind of sounding different than what um 
than what Na- uh, Nancy Benoit's sister said. But again, that's her, well, it, that's her. I son. mean, she still looked bad. Yeah, it, 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 whichever yeah. way you look at it, it's a bad thing. No, it's it is a bad situation. Yeah. I am reading up here that it says it's about 3.30 p.m. on Saturday, June 23rd. Fellow wrestler and close friend Chavo Guerrero received a voice message from Benoit's phone stating that he had overslept and missed the flight and would be later for the night's house show in uh, Bat- Batmount, Texas. Guerrero called Benoit back and found out that Benoit sounded tired and groggy as he confirmed everything that he had said in the voice message. Guerrero, who was concerned about Benoit's tone and demeanor, called back 12 minutes later. Benoit did not answer the call, and Guerrero left a message asking Benoit to call him back. Uh, 3.44, Benoit called uh, Guerrero back, stating that he had not answered the call because he was on the phone with Delta Airlines changing his flight. Benoit stated that he had a stressful day due to Nancy and Benoit being sick, quote, sick from food poisoning. Guerrero then replied with, all right, man, if you need to talk, I'm here for you. Benoit ended the conversation saying, I love you, Chavo, during a 2014 appearance of Chris Jericho's Talk is Jericho podcast. Guerrero said Benoit sounded off when he talked to him, especially when he said, I love you. Another co-worker who often traveled with Benoit called him outside from Houston airport and Benoit answered. Benoit told the co-worker that Nancy was vomiting and blood and that Daniel was also vomiting. And they're saying that there's several tech, there's five texts who were sent to coworkers between uh, 3.51 and 3.58 a.m. in the morning uh, using both uh, ben, uh, Chris Benoit's phone and Nancy Benoit's phone, four of them Benoit's address. Um, so we're reading through this. He was acting strange. You have to wonder, and it is kind of messed up, is it possible that he could have planned all of this? That's what I'm thinking because it also says that next to each one of their bodies there was a Bible, and he clearly drugged them beforehand. So Pretty he could have, sure. yeah, this could have been like, listen, I'm going to kill myself and I want to take my family with me, type of thing. And I didn't know this, but I'm reading up on this. It says that uh, back in 2003. Uh, Nancy actually filed for divorce because of domestic abuse, but then she uh, retracted the documentation. So mm-hmm. it seems like he's been kind of has a history. I, I don't want to say, yeah, there's some sort of history with that. Is he is he already divorced? He was already divorced beforehand, right? I don't. Th- well, he was divorced from his previous wife, but cause yeah, Nancy, I think cause that's his second wife because Nancy was his second wife. Yeah. Um, because I've also heard reports that the first divorce really messed him up financially. Like all his life's work was pretty much gone in that divorce. Didn't know. Yeah, that. that's possible. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I I do, Joe. I do remember reading up or hearing that he had that Nancy had filed for divorce uh, around two thousand three, two thousand four, and then quickly kind of retracted that. It's possible that he could have been suffering. I mean, if it's two thousand three, two thousand four, you know, three or four years before the death of all these of all these people. It's possible, you know, easily he could have been dealing with the dementia and the and the Alzheimer's. Well, not having the Alzheimer's, but the brainwaves of an 85-year-old man with Alzheimer's at that point. Yeah, at least early stages. You know, he could have been, you know, maybe she was filing for divorce, but he's just like, I don't know what I did. What are you talking about? I would never do this to you. Or, you know, it could have been then, but you have to wonder, like, they said he was never the same after Eddie died. That was his best friend. But... Nancy, uh, Nancy's sister, uh, again on Chris Jericho's podcast, was saying that he was not only dealing with Eddie's death, but there were so many other fellow wrestlers of his, and I can't recall the names of these wrestlers, that were dying before Eddie. And Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit were at a lot of the same funerals because they worked with a lot of these guys, and... He was in te- one of the last funerals they went to. He was just he was in tears, and he just goes to Chris, and he's like, I, he's like, Chris, I can't take this anymore. I I can't take my friends dying. I I can't deal with this. And then Eddie kind of just sent him over the deep end. I wonder if he saw anybody as far as like a therapist or psychiatrist or something. I because I'm trying to read up on it, and I don't see anything, any reports of him seeing anybody. I doubt it, honestly, with those kind of guys and their mentalities like, ah, oh, therapies for pussies or, you know. Yeah, they probably didn't yes. think about that. I do want to say this now that you're bringing up some sort of uh, treatments there. Was the wellness program in effect? It was, wasn't it? I want to say. Probably not to the extent it is now. I want to say it was put into effect after Eddie died, but 
I would say after Benoit's death, that's when they kind of the company kind of started taking it a little more seriously. Um, because with Eddie's death, you know they felt he he had it was due to heart failure with the drugs he had taken over the years, steroids and cocaine and any other drugs he was doing. And it just finally kind of caught up to him because his body's kind of just like, I'm not used to you not doing drugs anymore, so I'm shutting down kind of thing. With Benoit, you know, that was a tragedy and he died at a young age, but this but this was just like, this made media headlines and bad, bad publicity for the company um, to the point it was where... A rough, it was a rough stretch for Vince, this, the last uh, yeah. stretch with Eddie and then, and then him. This was a really, really, really tough time for, for the WWE. Um, in a point where, like, kind of like, I want to say between this time and maybe 2008-ish, it's kind of like when back when, like, the Ruthless Aggression era was, like, ending. I would say around this time. Yeah, yeah about so. Um, you know, I see um, some other things here. Uh, on 2016, Talk is Jericho podcast, Nancy's sister Sandra Toffoloni clarify, uh, clarified some details further. She said that over the weekend after murders, the search history of Benoit's computer showed that he had re- researched the quickest and easiest way to break a neck. He had then so there, there it goes. He, he had mean, then later of, used a mm-hmm. towel around his around his neck attached to the handle of a machine, which pulled down using a heavy weight and let go, breaking his neck instantly. Like, like that, that is just, that's, I can't even picture that. Well, that's nothing compared to what he did to Nancy and Daniel. No, I know. And I mean, Nancy, he freaking put his, pressed his knee on her back and started pulling a quarter on her neck until she died. I mean, like that's, it's, it's sick. And it just, again, it makes you wonder was this there are signs that he could have thought about doing this because he's like you know I can't do this anymore and I want to make sure that the my wife and my son are there with me or it could have been a thing of like you know the his brain waves you know being essentially having alzheimer's not rem- cuz there is arguments of that like oh I don't remember do like yeah but, but the- not remembering doesn't automatically make you a murderer no, no, and I'm not. I'm not trying to defend what he did, but there's no clear way of knowing it, his motives. Depression definitely, I think, is a bigger factor than the actual Alzheimer's. The, I would say so too. I would say the depression is the, what led him to this point. Depression and drugs, and the suppression of his depression, not and actually exactly seeking out holding help. It yeah, in and exactly. Who knows what him and his wife were probably arguing, and he lost it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, interesting that um, going back to that uh, David Benoit interview. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, it's really good and it's really powerful stuff because here's a kid that you really feel for. He lost his um, he lost his little brother, uh, stepmother, and uh, kind of lost uh, an aunt too because uh, Sandra. Nancy's sister had said that she kind of lost contact with Daniel and, and his sister not too long after the the funeral and around the 2016 they had kind of reconnected but David Benoit when he was talking he's like he was getting a little emotional not crying but he was struggling to get through the words and Chris Van Vliet was like you know you okay man you know it's if you need to take some time you know we can stop at any point or whatever he's like he's like no man I I, I needed this I needed to do this, so I I, I want to thank you a lot for it. And he gave some interesting interesting insight that um he had talked to Chris Ben he talked to his dad you know saying you know he wanted him to retire because he was really his body was breaking down and that he was ready to open a wrestling school and he had t-shirts and everything made. Wow. So it's it really is a shame, um and it's a shame that this young boy and and Daniel Benoit that um. You know, had he wanted to become a wrestler, he had the gifts of his dad and that he also, Nancy, uh, I mean, I don't know because I didn't see at that time, I was too young, but apparently Nancy Benoit was great in her own right in the ring and that she was also really great on the mic 
and uh, Sandra said to Chris Jericho, uh, Sandra Nancy's sister said to Chris Jericho that like, could you imagine if Daniel had wanted to be a wrestler? Like he could have had the 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 promo chops of his mom and then the in-ring work of his dad. He that would have been a great great prospect. And when it comes to David, that's his name, right? David, the yeah, the son. David, yes, the oldest. Son. Yeah, yeah. It's in a really weird way. He almost has to be grateful because if he was at that house, he would be dead. It's and he yeah. is really lucky that he was not there. Yeah, it's same it's, thing goes with the sister. Yeah, they were with their mother, and um, yeah, I remember him saying that he said he didn't even believe it. He's like he didn't even like it didn't even really hit him until like after after the funeral or at the funeral. He couldn't believe that it was actually real. Um. And you gotta, and th- this kid, I mean, I, over the years, like on social media, he's gotten a lot of flack about your dad's a murderer. This, that. I'm like, regardless of how you feel about Chris Benoit personally in this tragedy, don't go after his son. Don't go after his his family, the ones who are still here, who had nothing to do with this. They had nothing to do with yeah, this. Yeah, it's disgusting. And the poor kid, like, for ye- he's not that much older than us. I think he's only like a year older than us, or he's around the same age as us. So he's like 13, 14 years old when this happened, maybe 15. Young kid loses his dad, his little brother, and his stepmom all like all at once. Don't do that to him. And it's gotten better over the years now. He's like, now he's just like, I just, you know, like, F off. Like, I'm not dealing with your bullshit. Block. Twitter, Instagram, whatever the case may be. Well, thankfully, or when it happened, because this was what two thousand seven or two thousand eight. I can't remember. Two thousand seven. Uh, lucky for him, at that time, social media wasn't as big as it was. Like, oh, imagine no. if Twitter was around during then. Oh my like, god, he he, he could have gotten into real deep depression. Like, he could have killed himself too. Yeah, he he would have with been all the fuck like, he would get massacred online if social media was the way it was now. Um. I mean, he he himself, David Benoit, he wants to wrestle. He's he's had a few, I think, few matches here and there. He said he wants to uh, wrestle as Chris Benoit Jr. You know, he's got things trademarked, and he's got tights just like his dad does, say Chris Benoit Jr. And it would be cool. But the and he's and he is um he's been to might w- be cool, but he's gonna have a tough time. <laughs> it, he 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 would he would, and he's talked about how he's like he's close with 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 Natalia, I believe Natalia was close with Benoit, um, and that he he's always he was always welcomed at house shows. He was always welcomed at you know Raws or SmackDowns paper like to go hang out backstage. He was always welcomed. Um, apparently he was like banned for a bit because he showed up at double or nothing for AEW and he hung out there. And, but then eventually like, you know, I think he had a, a lawyer call their lawyers or whoever, and they wouldn't respond to his calls, but then eventually everything worked out and he can go back. The only thing is, is that he can never really wrestle in the WWE. I, See, I think he could, but I would I would think he would have to yeah, you can't say Crispin Watt Jr. And honestly, I'm surprised he would even want that name. Like That's I would it, not yeah. want the name of the man who killed my my brother and my uh stepmom. It's you have to I mean, for us it's easy for us to say that, but at the same time all this kid knew was his dad. All he knew was he was a wrestler and he was his dad and he was there for him and he raised him and he gave him advice and he treated him well. It's hard for us, the three of us, to understand that because we didn't go through what this kid has gone through. And you kind of have to give like, you know, okay, that was his dad and we can't blame him too much. But at the same time, it is a horrible, horrible thing that he did. Which also in that Chris Van Vliet interview that he's optimistic that one day they'd bring him into the Hall of Fame. Which brings into kind of the next part of the discussion, the Hall of Fame and Chris Benoit. This this is something that has been going on for several years. Should Chris Benoit go to the Hall of Fame? Should he not? And I think we all agree when we say the plain answer is absolutely not. Yeah, we all pretty And it much goes further than that. that. Uh, yeah, like, forget about him going into the Hall of Fame. I think they're doing the right thing now where he, he should never be mentioned ever again on TV. I mean, this is don't, don't erase his... Exactly. Don't have kids search up what he did. Because if you hear his name, they're going to look him up. That's the thing. I mean, 
as one of as a wrestler, purely a wrestler, and as one of the greatest, to, as a wrestler, one of the absolute greatest of all time. Like taking away what happened, the top ten, top five, maybe even top three, easily. Maybe even the best. You could argue that he is the best. You could argue that. But the fact of the matter is, what happened, happened. And you cannot publicly promote that. Because no matter what happens, even if WWE tried to make it the best situation they possibly could, people are always going to throw that murder-suicide in their faces. You're promoting a murderer. You're supporting a murderer. WWE doesn't want bad press they already, so it doesn't make any sense for them they got a shit ton of bad press when this whole thing happened why would they want to go through that again and even from a moral standpoint like at, at that point if you you're, if you're killing your family I'm sorry you're no longer a human being in, in as history shows you know like if you were to talk about the great e- evil you know people in, in history they're more figures than people yeah. you know what I mean because it's, it's a guy like him it's you have to almost think of him like the animal he is. And yes, it's unfortunate everything that happened with, you know, his brain and everything, but at the end of the day, nothing, and I mean nothing, can ever justify it. Justify what happened. I absolutely agree. I it's again, it's if had this tragedy not happened, had he He'd probably still be around. Again, he only was forty years old. He would, he could have been in the Hall of Fame by now. He could have been retired and had a wrestling school and do whatever he wanted, and could have been in the Hall of Fame right now. But the fact of the matter is that didn't happen, and we're left with these tragic events that did happen, which unfortunately, like we said, this is a very controversial topic, and. I remember listening to Austin on his podcast talk about it, saying that, um, just giving his two cents about Chris Benoit and saying that he believes that, you know, Chris Benoit being one of uh, the best in-ring performers he's ever seen in the ring, one of the greatest uh, wrestlers of a generation, unique, uh, absolute star, char- so charismatic in the ring, so great in the ring, what, such a unique performer, and that, you know, we talked about the Hall of Fame and says that, you know, Pete, you know, as a wrestler, you know, yeah, he, if you're just talking about pure wrestling uh, accomplishments, then yeah, for sure, he should go in the Hall of Fame, but you can never not think about that tragedy. And he kind of ended up thinking like, you know, Chris Benoit is a wrestler, one of the greatest of all time. Chris Benoit is a human being, the actions that he did, unforgivable. And this position may sound a little hypocritical, specifically from a guy like me, who I'm a big advocate of separating the art from the artist. So so people who push for Chris Benoit going into the Hall of Fame say that, well, really, it's his character going into the Hall of Fame, blah, blah, blah. I understand that. But it's one thing to, you know, watch an actor in a movie who you disagree with politically. Or, you know, like Hulk Hogan, who is clearly a pretty crappy human being in real life, but mm-hmm. still respecting what he's done for the company and uh, he's saying, yeah, he is, you know, one of the all-time greats and he should be on the Hall of Fame, this, that, and the other. But this I, is... It's completely different. You know, it's completely different. Yeah, when, the second you do something like Chris Benoit did, this kind of go, disappears because that just surpasses anything else that could really happen. I mean, he. It's it's hard to watch a Chris Benoit match now. Uh, the I talked about maybe my favorite one is his match with Angle at a Royal Rumble, and I rewatched that match a few years ago. And as great as it is, it's still hard to watch a Benoit match because you can't not think about what happened. No, last time I got I watched a Chris Benoit match, I had to turn it off halfway through because I was like, I'm just getting pissed off. It's 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 a shame because his career is tainted as well. Yeah. It's and rightfully so. Yeah. So it Yeah, would, man, there's really no way to sugarcoat it. He's just a piece of shit. No, he really is and it's it's a shame, you know. It's it's a shame when these things happen. 
And but in the bright side of all of this, it has come to light with CTE and concussions and more steps have been taken in modern medicine to prevent these things and that concussions are taking are taken very seriously now than they were 12, 13 years ago. You know? Yeah, in all sports. I mean, yeah, and like like David Benoit said, like this unfortunately this tragedy put to light with CTE and changed sports in general. Changed how how people view it and how doctors view it. You know, and how parents view it. I mean, there's not, not as many parents are letting their kids, you know, play football, for example, because you know, yeah. you, it's just people are more aware than ever about this type type of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's funny how the world works. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a sad thing, it's a controversial thing, and uh, I mean, this, this this podcast is probably gonna end on more of a downer than on a happy note, just because of again, we kind of talked from the early career of Chris Benoit all the way to the end, and the end was his death unfortunately, and this tragedy. And most importantly, the death of his family. Yeah, and, you know, his poor wife and his poor son who didn't have a choice in the matter and, you know, his other son and daughter, you know, have to live with this really eerie shadow over them that they can never kind of escape, unfortunately. I think, I feel like his daughter can more or less kind of escape it but his son, I think, because he is so avid of getting into the wrestling business and being a wrestler, that it's always going to be around him. His sister. And can if you make fun of this guy for his father, uh, is anyone listening? If you're, you know, you can use an F bomb. Go, go ahead, use an F bomb. You can. I mean, I'm not going to because that already used two. We're already over quota. But <laughs> when, did, when did we use two? <laughs> oh yeah, earlier. Was it during when I thought Ed sounded like he was on ecstasy? Oh, maybe. Probably, <laughs> but either way, if you, if you do that, I mean, you, you're you're an awful I'll, human being. I'll you deserve it. the I'll say it. If you if you trolled him. David, if you have trolled David Benoit over the years over something that had nothing to do with him, that was his father's decision. Go fuck yourself. There, I said it. <laughs> Drop the mic or headset or whatever you're using. Can we use this as a sound bite? <laughs> use this as a sound bite for the. Yeah. Sure, I'll use this. Sure. Got a lot of editing to do. Actually, no, I don't. I'm not going to edit this thing. I'm not CJ's doing it. not lying. No one's going to edit. You're not going to edit. No, no I'm not. I just said I'm not going to edit this. <laughs> I'm going to leave you sounding like, because you didn't hear it, but I heard it on my end. You, I sound, you sounded like I was drunk or I was on ecstasy listening to you talk, and you'll hear it. You'll be like, what the hell You're probably is that? just are, CJ. You don't even rec- recognize it. Damn, probably not. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what did you drink when you got home from work? I, not alcohol. Lean. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Lean. All right. Anyway, all right. I think <laughs> I think that'll wrap things up for this edition of the Not Another Wrestling Podcast, uh, guys. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, more of a kind of a downer one, but uh, it is uh, it's one that we wanted to do for a little while now. Um, Don't worry, the next one will be uh, a more more funny with yeah. Sasha Banks. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next one will be more upbeat, more happy, hopefully, and more. Uh, you know, reminiscent. We should just it. do a 24 hour live stream reading comments from her Facebook page. Maybe we should. That should definitely be the first YouTube episode. Maybe, maybe it should. Anyway, guys, thank, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, for my buddies, Joe and Ed, and for myself, CJ Palmasano. We hope you all enjoyed, and we see you all next time.